Thank you, Mr. President. Members of the Senate and those in the gallery, I would direct your attention to our gallery where we have a very important person sitting here and observing us today. And this is a person who has had a great injustice wrought upon him by the Commonwealth of Virginia, who spent 33 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. Mr. Harward has spent his time since his release making sure that those who are innocent are not wrongfully convicted. So for those reasons, I ask that you look upon Mr. Keith Allen Harward with admiration and recognition and accept our apology from the Commonwealth of Virginia for being wrongfully convicted and for that 33-year loss of liberty. Mr. President, I ask that you extend the warmest of welcome to Keith Allen Harwood. Would Mr. Keith Allen Harwood please rise to the gallery if you are able. I would ask everyone to please join me and extend the warmest welcome of the Senate to Mr. Keith Allen Harwood. Welcome to Charity Talks. I'm Brooke Tanefsky, and today I spoke with Nigel Kiros, a policy analyst at the Innocence Project, and Keith Harward, who spent 33 years in a Virginia prison for crimes that he did not commit. During the podcast, we discussed Keith's story of how he was wrongfully convicted of murder and rape, based in large part on faulty forensic evidence, how the Innocence Project came to his defense, and what the organization and Keith are doing to prevent further injustices. Keith's story really gives an important window into some of the problems with the criminal justice system, and I think that you'll find it very compelling. Today I'm speaking with Nigel Koros, a policy analyst at the Innocence Project, and Keith Harward, who spent 33 years in Virginia prison for crimes that he did not commit. Nigel and Keith, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Sure. Thank you for having me. Just to start, can you just talk a little bit about the Innocence Project and how you got involved, Nigel? Okay, yeah. So um, the Innocence Project is, is a nonprofit law firm. Um, and our mission is to free wrongfully convicted people through DNA testing and reform the system to reveal and prevent future wrongful convictions. So um, I got started as a, at the Innocence Project. Um, I actually was an intern when I was in law school at the policy in the policy department. So I spent six months there working in the policy department um, with with the organization. And when I graduated law school, I was fortunate enough to be offered a uh, a position there, and I've been there now um, going on four years, so that's how I got involved. Wow. Great, and can you tell me a little bit about the mission of the Innocence Project? Yes, so um, we work, um, it's a a two-pronged thing that we do, so we, on the legal side, we we help uh, free people um, who are wrongly convicted um, through DNA evidence. And on the policy side, the side that I work on, we try to reform the systems either um, through state and local levels or the, even the federal level 
to help um, prevent people from possibly being wrongfully convicted again. There are certain things that we see that go into most wrongful convictions, and there's there are reforms that we seek, whether it's eyewitness identification reform, um, forensic science reform, or, you know, recording interrogations or regulating jailhouse informants. Those are things that occur in a lot of wrongful convictions. And we just try to change that on the front end. So hopefully nobody else is victimized by the system in those ways again. Great. And how many cases does the Innocence Project typically take on each year? And how do you go about choosing which cases? So every year, I think we get probably about over 2,000 letters each year. Um, the intake process is a long, strenuous process. You know, a person writes in um, when they're in, in prison, and it goes through through the process with, with our intake team um, who reviews the letters at different stages. Once it gets past a certain stage, if it gets past a certain stage, it goes to the legal department. And, you know, they, they, they look at the, the issue and, and look in, into the case and sees if there's um, any DNA evidence, any evidence that might get that case back in the court and get that DNA test, tested. So on average, it takes probably um, either five to 10 years, but sometimes it might be even longer before a person is actually retained as a client at the Innocence Project. And just to add on, could you just talk a little bit about some of the causes of false convictions, the most common causes, and what it is that the Innocence Project is doing to help fix the system? Okay, so um, one of the, the biggest causes of uh, wrongful convictions is eyewitness misidentification. Um, many times people think that if you have an, an eyewitness, um, that's just the, the most ironclad and slam dunk type of uh, evidence to have. but Studies have shown that eyewitness identification can be faulty, especially when it's across racial lines. So if a per if a suspect is of one race and, and the victim is of another race, there's just something in our wiring that, you know, it, it's it's harder to identify a person across uh across different racial lines. So one of the main things that we push for there is eyewitness identification reform. So one thing we would have is an, an identify an investigating police officer not know who the su suspect is if they're conducting like a photo lineup or or in person lineup because a lot of times um, there might be some sort of you know leading of the eyewitness and it, it's not even it might not even be purposeful it's just you know a confirmation bias uh, sometimes confirmation bias. so we just push to have what we call uh, it's called the blinded administration of a lineup so. Um, the uh, the investigating officer who's who's actually doing it isn't the person who's conducting the lineup, so so they can't lead an eyewitness. So that's one of the main ones. Um, well, that's the biggest one. I'm sorry. Another one is a um, misapplication of forensic sciences. A lot of times, um, people are convicted on forensic sciences that aren't validated sciences. Even Keith, he was convicted um, because of. Uh, bite mark analysis, which isn't a valid forensic science. So we just, you know, push for the regulation and the validation of valid forensic sciences to be used in cases. So that's another one. Um, another one that we have is false confessions or admissions. There are people who, through either duress or, you know, being misled in in um, interrogation, who might um, confess to a crime. A lot of times people say, you know, I, I didn't if I didn't do a crime, why would I confess? But, you know, sometimes we've seen, we've seen cases where people have been 
uh, interrogated for, for days on end. And they're being told, you know, you just tell us what we need to know and you can go home. That's what we want to know. And they're doing that under the guise of being set free and helping and they're being convicted because of that. So that's a, that's an, another thing we see. Um, and another one that we see is, um, is in, incentivized informants. You know, we have informants, whether they be jailhouse informants or confidential informants who through some sort of benefit, um, are actually being used to point fingers at people who are actually innocent to try to secure a conviction. You know, they'll be sitting in a, in a, in a, in a jail cell with the person and they'll say, you know, this person is the person who did this crime. They'll, they'll point the finger at the person and they, they might have received some sort of benefit, either it'd be a lenient sentence, you know, or some sort of favorable condition. And they're, um, they're being used to actually, uh, uh, convict people wrongfully. So those are uh, some of the main things that we see across uh, different uh, wrong convictions and the many causes and the reforms that we that we seek to you know change. So uh, I, I'm I didn't go back for the false confessions and admissions. What we what we try to do is pass for the um, the mandatory recording of interrogation. So when 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 a person is being interrogated, we want that to be recorded from the front to finish, and that's just the have a have a record of what's going on and um you know just to know everything is above board and the regulating of in, uh informants we just want to you know know who the person is how many cases they've been used on because a lot of times these informants might have been used across different cases what what benefit they might have received and just all of that to be disclosed to the defense so that they know what's going on um before trial We'll definitely talk a lot more about the issues of bite mark analysis later, but I know you mentioned cross-racial identification, the issues of that, so I just thought it was so important that we bring up, even if it is a huge question, can you talk about some mm. of the racial biases within the criminal justice system? Oh, yeah. So there, there, uh, there are great uh, racial justices in the criminal justice system. Out of all of the, the wrongful convictions, over there have been over three thousand exonerations, and about two thousand of those people are either black or black or brown. So it's a it's a greater it's a greater skew. But we just find that that is just a microcosm of the criminal justice system. Now, we of all of our clients, um, about seventy about seventy percent are either are either black or, or Latino. So it's kind of a greater a greater slice of of what's what's going on in of the of the pie there so yeah those biases are there yeah and going back to the bite mark analysis issue i just want to ask keith could you talk a little bit about your life before you were arrested and we'll start hearing about your story well i was in the navy uh when all this started all transpired my life before uh my conviction, like I said, I was in the Navy uh, prior to that, somewhat normal childhood, uh, graduated high school, got into drinking and some things, type of stuff, and decided to join the Navy, try to straighten my act up. And that's when the crime uh, uh, that was committed that I was uh, convicted of. <laughs> Nothing out of the ordinary that would say, hey, this guy's a future you know, what they convicted me of, uh, type of thing. It, it just, it was just out of the blue. Uh, that's, it was out of the blue. Yeah. And can you just share a little bit about 
what led to your arrest in that process? Well, the crime was committed in Newport News. And the victim, one of the victims, said that it was a, a, a sailor. He was in a sailor outfit. And, of course, I was in the Navy at the time. And the woman that was raped was bitten on her legs. So the process of that was undertaken by the Newport News Police Department as far as uh, uh, getting an odontologist involved. That's a dentist that identifies bite marks, even though now we know it's no identifying, but that's what they do. Got involved. I, myself, like I said, I was not a perfect person and, and got into an altercation with my girlfriend, bit her on the neck, and she went to the hospital. And while she was there, the, this whole crime had, had already taken place, so the police were on, on extra high alert. They were just searching around, trying to find someone. As the story goes, you'll figure it out as the story goes, you know, they, just, they were looking for someone. Therefore, that's how I got into the loop. I was a biter. Uh, so from there on in, all the pieces were uh, made to fit me so I could be convicted. And one of the pieces of the puzzles were, was odontologists got involved and bite mark identification was introduced and then it went to trial. And, and because of that, I, I was convicted solely on that. Now, there was other things involved, but as far as what actually convicted me was the bite mark evidence that two odontologists testified to that my teeth left the marks on the woman's legs. Therefore, her husband, who was murdered with a crowbar and money was taken and she was raped for many, many hours and this whole ordeal that happened, I was the one that did it. It's just crazy to think how just the fact that they're really crunching to get someone and have someone to blame can cause such faulty evidence to be treated as accurate. And so can you tell us about what the reaction of the jury was to this forensic dentistry evidence and testimony? Well, of course, at the time it was accepted. Therefore, it was in the court. So therefore, it was used. And... In courts, this bite mark evidence has been used when there was no other evidence or other evidence that was also falsified, which is bite mark evidence is just falsified evidence, plain and simple, to use to, to have someone convicted. And it, it's like, okay, let's pick a person, let's get an odontologist, he'll testify that their teeth match because there's no actual truth or science to it. So it, it, it could be anything. And if once they get up in front of the jury, and in my case, uh, the leading odontologist, uh, international star that he was, once he gave his credentials, the jury was, I was convicted. Once he got done saying, okay, I was past president of this, I testified at that trial, Etc. and so on forth, they could they could have turned the lights out, sent it by home, and took me off because the jury was just overwhelmed by the smoke and mirrors of the whole ordeal. And for him to say, "Well, I said so," of course, what are you to believe? The jury 
uh, or juries thinking that, okay, everything that's presented in a trial is true, honest, and brought together under legal ethical means. As a juror, if it's presented in a trial and there's not enough evidence to say, okay, it's not worthwhile, the jury has to accept it. You would. I would. I mean, that's the case of the fact. But if it's allowed in, the jury is going to take it as truth uh, from the state. It, it's just it's just human nature in a trial. If a, if a police officer investigates it, the detective gets involved, labs are involved, they bring in experts, the prosecutor brings the trial, the judge says, okay, hear ye, hear ye, what do you say? Of course, it has to be true. But in this case, in a lot of cases, some of this forensic science that passes as evidence in trials and it's still accepted to this day is crap. Okay, cut to the chase. It's nonsense. It's smoke and mirrors. So it was allowed in. And to come back to, to answer your question, the jury believed it because it was allowed in. The judge said, yes, it's good evidence. Therefore, whatever the person testifying, the expert witness was testifying to, they have to believe. That's, you have to believe because it's, it's, a, it's a trial. It's a case. It's court. You know, this is serious stuff. So if they're letting it in, it's got to be real. But ladies and gentlemen of the jury, sometimes it's not. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And I know that Almost 33 years went by with you in prison until the Innocence Project got involved. So, Nigel, can you tell us about how, after all this time, the Innocence Project was able to get involved in Keith's case? Yeah, so actually Keith's case, so he had been uh, an actual uh, client of the Innocence Project for a very long time. Um, so finally, um, we were able to perform DNA testing. Um, on the, on the rape kit and numerous other uh, pieces of the crime scene evidence. And um, the testing excluded him and identified the, the, the true perpetrator as the person who um, committed the crime. And actually, the person who um, actually committed the crime, um, his, his name was Jerry Crotty. Um, he was now, uh, who was deceased. And um, he actually had a criminal, uh, a criminal record and was a, a sailor, uh, also a sailor at the time of the crime. So they, uh, you know, there was a, a hearing um, in 2016, and it brought up all the reliability of the of the bite mark evidence and and everything that uh, that Keith Keith spoke about, and um, you know, it just was was thrown thrown out as junk. It's it's un unvalidated. So that's how we were able to um, actually get involved. And I know that Keith is at least the 25th person to have been wrongfully convicted or indicted based in part on this mm -hmm. bike mark evidence. And so, nevertheless, courts have continued to permit these forensic dentists to testify in criminal trials. So what, if anything, is happening to help prevent this from being considered valid? Okay, yeah. So the Innocence Project, our strategic litigation department, has been fighting uh, many of these forensic odontologists in court and filing what they call amicus briefs, which are friends of the court briefs on behalf of, of the Innocence Project 
to actually bring to light that these things are unvalidated and these these this type of identification shouldn't be used to convict people in these in these cases. So we've been we've been consistently fighting those. Keith, I know that you've been called to testify before legislators who are trying to enact legislation preventing what happened to you from happening to others. So what have you done in this regard? And do you think that you've seen positive legislative results? Well, yeah, I've been working because, you know, my life now is because of the fact that uh, the Innocence Project uh, stepped in and, 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 brought my case to life. Uh, that's what I do now. I, I go around and, and just talk to people. If it's just people on the street, I tell them my story. I say, hey, this stuff's going on. You need to know this stuff's going on. And, it's, and we're trying to apply pressure from the public standpoint because until the laws get changed and the legislators are convinced by the public, which I am part of, uh, this goes on. Uh, uh, there's there's cases that are still out there of people who have previously been convicted behind bite mark evidence. Uh, there's cases that are pending that have bite mark evidence involved. So my, my my whole thing is making a stink and letting these people know stop this. I mean, you need to stop this. It just makes sense. And and I've been to Virginia and spoke to uh, the legislature up there to try to get a law passed. Uh, I go to colleges and speak to law students or do Zooms with the different organizations, uh, high schools, people who are studying that type of thing. And, and I lend myself uh, to this type of situation so people can know that this type of thing is going on. and. To be able to fight it, people are going to have to step in and that's what we have to do. We just got to keep having our voices heard. Uh, things are going on that, that, that people are going to. I'm going to be involved with something next month that's involved with someone that was uh, uh, convicted behind bite mark evidence from Odontologist West that, that uh, if you've seen the Netflix a program Innocence Files. Uh, you should watch if you haven't. Uh, you should watch that Netflix. That's the way that it's working. They worked with the Innocence Project. I'm in it uh, to put it out to the general public. Say, hey, you know this stuff is going on. Now we can help correct it. So what can you do? How can you help us? So that's what we're working toward. I myself personally, the Innocence Project, Nigel, you. Letting people know, letting the voices be heard and say, okay, what can we do to correct this? And as Nigel said, first and foremost, let's stop it or start the process in stopping this uh, now so nobody else will be convicted behind some of this, uh, uh, from these shady uh, uh, forensic science, uh, uh, blood splatter, hair analysis, bite mark. There's a lot of things that are out there that are being used and passing in courts as being A-OK, but there's no qualifications. You see, there should be checkpoints. You should be able to meet certain priorities and, and points. If you're going to use this evidence, just like in fingerprints, OK, you have to meet this, 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 and this. You just can't roll up and say, OK, this is what I think. 
You have to meet these things. So all these things, the Innocence Project's working on, uh, as Nigel said, and, and, and exonerate such as myself by speaking up, talking about it. Netflix, like I said, uh, YouTube, there's a lot of stuff on YouTube uh, dealing with wrongful convictions podcasts. Uh, there's many, many wrongful conviction podcasts. So that's what we're trying to do. Everybody's trying to work together to correct this stuff and also help those that have been affected by it directly and also help those that have been indirectly uh, uh, affected by it. family members, uh, uh, even people, even the victims. Just think of the victims in crimes uh, that went through the whole process and then thinking, okay, the boogeyman was put away. The bad guy, he's in prison now, so I'm safe again. To find out, in my case, 33 years later, no, the bad guy was still out there, and he could come back and do it again. Those people are affected by this. You know, the the, the, the trials and the money's involved to, to, to fabricate all this stuff and pay these 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 uh, uh, expert witnesses and things like that, that money's just being pissed away because it's under false pretense. And the money they spent on me all those years incarcerated me. Now, if they would have got the right guy, it would have been money well worth being spent. As Nigel said, uh, Jerry Crotty was a criminal. And he continued to be a criminal. If he got locked up, well... Would have happened to him in Ohio, would have happened to him in Virginia. And, you know, he would not be anybody's problem. That's money well worth spending. But to try someone and then spend all those years knowing that you falsified that conviction and all that money involved, forget about the people's lives, just the money involved. It's all a waste. And that's what it was. Uh, it was, it was, it was all a waste. And if you can stop it to begin with, that's great. Say, I really appreciate because I think that it's important people understand almost the human aspect of what the Innocence Project does. So I really appreciate you sharing your story. And I imagine that it must have been an intense emotional experience for you when you learned you were being freed. So can you just tell us a little bit about how you learned about your release and what that aspect was like for you? Well, first off, uh, I'm, in, I'm not incarcerated anymore. I, I, I may not be in prison, but free is, is a word that I have difficulty with because this is what I am, and I have to carry it the rest of my life. Every day I get up till the time I go to sleep, I have to deal with the fact of what happened to me in my life. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm totally, uh, 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 because of what I went through, totally a different person than maybe what I would have been. I, like I said, I'm a convict. Uh, I lived as a prisoner for a third of a century. So that's my mentality. And that's how I deal with a lot of stuff out here. Uh, it, every day is, is fabulous. It's always a great day not to be in prison. Let me tell you that. It's always a great day not to be in prison. Uh, it's tough out here. Uh, I understand it's tough for everybody else, uh, but it's also tough for me because I don't know ways of this world. I know ways of that world and dealing with technology. 
just people in general, you know, I have that in me, you know. So if 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 you if you grow up a certain way, then you have that to you, and 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 I don't use I use my special powers for good and not evil, but I, that's in me, not because I I did it myself. It's just I grew up around evil. I, I know people's minds from prison. I've been with you know some people that that have some weird things. But then again, I am now un unincarcerated or free and, and I'm out here dealing with people. I have no clue what they're about. Mm -hmm. I am more scared out here than I was in there because in there I knew who I was dealing with. Out here I don't know. And see, I know people in there that are out here now that will be there eventually. And that scares me for me, my family, for you and everybody else, uh, because I see things through different filters than most people. But I see beautiful stuff, too. It's it's wonderful. I have a child's mentality to play. Uh, I hear birds sing. I see stuff that most people don't see because, you know, it's no longer this, you know, and it's wow. So when I say I'm the luckiest person in a three-foot circle, because everybody's lucky in their own way, I truly am. When people ask me, how you doing today? I say, I'm doing so good, I feel bad for others. Because I have a lot going on for me because of the Innocence Project and, and Skagen Arts Law Firms involved. And, and to be able to feel that others say, wow. You know, I didn't realize that. Wow. You know what? That's that's a great thing to be able to help people understand things they don't understand. Because I know things that other people don't know. And other people know things I don't know. And I ask questions all the time. So it, it, I, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful life as long as I'm able to turn everything positive and help others do the same. Nigel, were you there when I got out? I was. I Well, I was working at the end of the project. I wasn't right. actually okay. there, but yeah. I but don't I was, remember I was, meeting people. I, I apologize. I, you know, no, it's, it's fine. It's still a blur to this day. There's so many people uh, that I've met that, just, you know, that, it, it, I can't remember names and I feel real bad, but thank you. You're no, a hero of mine. You do good <laughs> You're work. Hero of mine. Thank and, you. and you know, uh, because of you, I'm here and I'm me. You know. Yeah. Definitely. You that you you could collect mm -hmm. that in your mind that you okay. because of you, I'm out here. I'm having fun yeah. and I'm putting the word out because of you. So yeah. thank you, and I appreciate thank you. you. I always say I always say that a law could not be passed without without an exoneree telling their story because us just speaking to legislators and politicians they don't move forward unless unless they see the face of the person that's convicted and hear the stories and hear the experience that you live being wrongfully convicted. So you telling your truth and telling your truth to power is something is is something that we couldn't do, you know. And and sure. the and that's the main driving force of of change. So sure. you're yeah. my hero. I mean, it, it, it's it's unbelievable. This past couple months, the state of Virginia, 
Uh, there's going to be a signing today. Uh, they're abolishing the death penalty in the mm-hmm. state of Virginia. I was part of that. They used me as uh, as as the the, the uh, Stanley used me as the I was the poster child because I went up for him and, and went before the legislature before as we were talking about try to get that bill passed to get wrongful uh, get uh, the, the people who were convicted behind this bogus science a chance back in the court. So he used me and also the state of Virginia, uh, the Attorney General Mark Herring. They're starting a conviction uh, integrity unit in the state of Virginia. And once again, kudos to me. I I, I don't want to beat my own drum and toot my horn, but I am. Uh, it's in the paper. It's, you can read it. My name, because he was he was involved with me getting out as quickly as I did, uh, and and that's a rarity amongst. Uh, 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 lawyers because attorney generals are prosecutors. That's what they are. Uh, the number one prosecutor for that state. And he was behind getting me out. And, and I still feel because of his public speech on the fact that they screwed up, I should be out. I got out two days later. It's never happened in Virginia. So, you know, uh, that, that integrity unit, that's great. I mean, that, that they're able to do that and use me, please, you know, if that's what they want to do. You know, the problem is with COVID and things, I can't go to stuff like I used to. But uh, it's it's starting to open back up. And uh, Chris Fabricant, I just gave him news today that I'm going to uh, Louisiana next month. Uh, oh, great. McCory is his name. He, he's one of West's uh, convictions. Okay. And in, in, in uh, uh, Alabama, excuse me, Alabama. So I'm going to go down for that. He's supposed to be having a hearing, so I'm going to go down and... Uh, uh, hopefully be involved somehow. Well, Keith, is there anything else that you'd really like to add about your own experience before we go in general? Because I appreciate your time for sure. I mean, what I've said uh, as far as now is the time to do these things because of DNA and because of exonerees such as myself. Uh, you have history now. We now know that this stuff, some these items are bogus. Uh, bite mark evidence in my case is uh, uh, it, bogus. So therefore, if we're able to one stop this, bring a light to all this, and hopefully, I still believe that these people, odontologists should go back and, and, and visit all those cases and say, okay, everyone I testified to, I now should testify for the defense or whatever it needs. I'll go before the judge and say, okay, what I said back then is crap and this person should be out of prison or at least given a chance to be retried. I just think it is so horrible to think that an innocent person be ripped away from them. So I think that's amazing that the Innocence Project and people like you, Keith, are doing things to help combat this. And so, of course, I want to ask before we wrap this up, if Nigel, do you know how can people get involved with the Innocence Project and help if they want to? Oh, yes. So um, people can get involved. You can sign up for our newsletter at um, innocenceproject.org. 
You can donate to the Innocence Project. And when, when you sign up at theinnocenceproject.org, you can have specific action alerts for your state. So if you have, you know, a law coming up in, in if let's say you're in Virginia, you'll be alerted and you'll be alerted to contact your legislator there and um, get involved and, and make your voice heard and let them know that you, you want you want to push for this this reform, any reforms that might be coming up. You can also you know, get involved, uh, like he said, you know, watching a Netflix series, um, getting getting more uh, in, in tune to what's going on and always just, you know, just just stay in touch and just keep a, keep abreast of what's going on um, in, in the criminal justice sphere. So those are the best ways. Thank you. Yeah. And I'll share all the information on my website and everything for sure. And I just want to say really thank you both so much because I've always been interested in what the Innocence Project does. So I'm really glad to actually get to speak with you both on this issue. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. And thank you for being involved and and stay involved and, and let people know, uh, go to the rooftops and shout it. No, don't do that. They'll rescue that. Uh, but yes, uh, contact uh, the Innocence Project or any Innocence Project. It doesn't have to necessarily be the Innocence Project. There's many out there. But hell, because it all it's all a network. We are all a network. The Innocence Project, New York City, uh, Mid-Atlantic, California, there is a network of people. And so if you help one, you're helping us all. Uh, if you donate a dollar, it doesn't matter. That dollar is going to help someone get out and you say, yay, when it hits the news. But just be aware that just because you see it on television or you see it on the criminal criminal justice channels or something like that does not necessarily mean it's true. CSI Miami, I'm sorry, you can't get DNA in five minutes. It just doesn't work that way. So we need to make people aware that are interested in justice system about true justice and, and true evidence. And things like that. It, it uh, uh, goes to a trial once they start allowing people in uh, and just sit in the courtroom, uh, watch the news, pay attention, see who the players are, uh, contact your legislature, say, what are you doing to help people who are wrongly convicted uh, get out? Uh, what are you doing to compensate people who are wrongfully convicted? What are you doing? And, and let them tell you. Uh, uh, Contact your colleges. Uh, uh, most states have several colleges that are involved with law, and the law students at those law schools have uh, cases that they take on as part of the curriculum. Uh, I've been to Duke. I've been to Penn. I've been to William Mary. I've been to several uh, colleges. I've done Zoom for high school students and stuff. Uh, just be aware of it and, and, and talk to people. And when you see uh, a, a crime happen, uh, a serious crime, pay attention and, and just think about it. Just don't naturally just accept it's that way. And if it turns out it's wrong, then do what you can to make it right. And that would be to contact the Innocence Project or some organization and say, how can I help? Can I put banners up on telephone poles? Can I donate money? Or what can I do to help? And, and, because there's many, many ways to help. And just Call them up and say, I appreciate you. Nigel, thank you for doing what you're doing. Call them up and say, thank you, Innocence Project. You know, uh, email them and say thank you. And, and, and get involved that way and, and get involved with the alerts and, and the National Registry for uh, uh, exonerations and things like that. Uh, 
it's worthwhile. It's worthwhile. I'm worthwhile. You know, I'm worthwhile. So there you go. Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much.